0: When our four children were young, they didn't get to watch much television. After all, the 19-inch black-and-white Magnavox was in the basement. But when the homeschooling uh, work was done for the day, they were rewarded with a few episodes of Sesame Street, Thomas the Tank Engine, or Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Who didn't love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? It's a children television series that was created and hosted by the namesake Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was characterized by its quiet simplicity and gentleness. Episodes consist of Mr. Rogers acting naturally, speaking directly uh, to the viewer about various issues, taking tours of factories and demonstrating experiments and crafts and music, and interacting with friends like Mr. McFeely and... Later, Aberlin, the half-hour episodes were punctuated with a puppet segment, as you well remember, those who watched, chronicling the events of the neighborhood of make-believe. And during the opening of each episode, Mr. Rogers entered the television studio house singing, Would You Be My Neighbor? Won't You Be My Neighbor? Exactly. He hung his coat in the closet, put on his cardigan zip-up sweater and removed his dress shoes and put on sneakers, originally because the sneakers made less noise on the television set, but it became part of the tradition. But Mr. (laughs) Now we know that Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was a warm, friendly, interesting and inviting place for children to imagine living there, wasn't it? Us adults as well. (laughs) This morning, we're continuing our sermon series titled, Becoming Good Neighbors. In our first message, Love as a Verb, we were challenged to take action by the parable of the Good Samaritan. In last week's message, titled, People Are Not Projects, we saw that all people matter to God and that he is at work in everyone. In today's message, Living in Three Neighborhoods, we're going to begin to discover the people uh, whom God is calling us to love in a neighborly fashion, and we're we're, we're going to discover uh, and acknowledge that learning to love our neighbors is is actually tough work. It's not as easy as taking a trolley ride through Mister Rogers' neighborhood. But this irreducibly simple, utterly profound, and totally impossible task is doable with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we'll discover great joy in it. So let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for uh, the brand new day at the start of a brand new week that you give us. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done right here in our lives. And not just in this auditorium, but right next door where our kids are learning to to worship and serve and grow and be changed for a lifetime as well. Put power on your word to our lives is our prayer in your name. Amen. On one occasion, Jesus was asked by a religious lawyer to reduce everything important in the Old Testament to one command. And we can read Jesus's reply in Mark's gospel, the 12th chapter, You can open your Bible or your Bible app there, or follow along on the screen. We're going to see what Jesus said. Mark 12, verse 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus replied, not with one, but with two equally important commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the entire Bible drilled down to its simplest form. And I'll keep saying it because it's true that if acted upon by everyone who believes in Jesus, this one commandment, the great commandment, would change the whole world. Now, over the last two weeks, we've been looking at one particularly memorable story um, that Jesus told to illustrate his specific appeal to love your neighbor, and it's found in Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 30 to 37. We won't read the whole story, but I'll recapture the parable of the Good Samaritan for you. In the story, a Jewish man was beaten by thieves and left for dead by the side of the road. Both a priest and a temple assistant came along, but crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a despised Samaritan came along, saw the injured Jewish man, had compassion on him, and made a colossal uh, calculated step, risk of crossing social and cultural and racial and religious boundaries and reached out and ministered in love and compassion to the injured Jewish man. He spent the evening administering care. Uh, He had transported him on his own donkey to a local inn, and then he made a promise of future payment and reimbursement. Uh, And so, uh, huge risk, huge investment. Jesus concluded this story this way, in Luke 10, 36. Now, which of these three would you say was neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. The man, the lawyer, replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So we're asking, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to become that kind of a good neighbor, the Good Samaritan kind of good neighbor, and thus fulfill the great commandment. Now, last week we were reminded uh, that taking the great commandment seriously is not an evangelism strategy. This isn't the Vineyard's new program for evangelism. You see, if evangelism is our motive, you really probably won't be a very good neighbor. If our neighbors discover that the only reason we want to be their friends is so that we can convert them to Jesus... Then they're going to be profoundly disappointed, probably angry as they should, and the kingdom will suffer another setback. On the other hand, if neighboring is done with the right heart, with the right motive, and the right deeds, that is, we actually take an interest, we share life, we serve them, that is to say, we learn to love, period. If neighboring is done like that, then most certainly people who do not know God will come to know him. We will see them cross that bridge of genuine, authentic, serving, loving relationship, and they will invite you and Jesus into their life story. Have any of you ever had this experience? You... You stand and stare at your garage or your basement or your home office or your closet, and you thought, or your house. I know I need to spend a day or a week cleaning this place. I just don't know where to begin. Just last Memorial Day, last Monday, Tina and I did this very thing. As the rain was pouring down, keeping us from yard work, we went out into the garage and we thought about tackling it as the day's project. We need to clean this place. And then we looked at each other, we shook our heads, and we retired to the basement and streamed a movie on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing where to start can be the hardest step, isn't it? You know, becoming good neighbors can be like that for many of us. Uh, moving from the theory in the safety and security of our time together on Sunday morning, to the practice of actually being a good Samaritan can immobilize us. We're, we're, we're paralyzed, as it were. And we know that we can't begin to be a good neighbor to everyone. So where, where do we start? Well, this morning I want to offer a few suggestions about where to begin beyond the adjustments Uh, of our attitude towards and our beliefs about people that we looked at in detail last week, that all people matter to God, and that he's at work in all of them. So let's let's begin. Now, none of us actually live in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, as much as we would like to live there and take a ride on the trolley to the neighborhood of make-believe. But we all do live in three neighborhoods. God has uniquely placed us in three spheres of influence and relationship. I like to think of them as three neighborhoods, if you will. They are absolutely unique to you. No other person on the planet of nearly seven billion people lives in your three neighborhoods. And I suggest that we begin becoming good neighbors by stepping into our three neighborhoods. I'm going to suggest that you let go of the metaphoric neighbor who is, who is wounded and bleeding by the side of the road, whom you never actually meet and get to minister to anyway, and also let go uh, of the needy neighbors on the field of world missions around the globe. There is a time and a place to respond to those needs, to be sure. But let's start becoming good neighbors in our three unique neighborhoods. Let's unpack that. First neighborhood is where you live. This is our geographic neighborhood. Each of us lives in a specific geographic neighborhood. It might be a literal neighborhood, as in defined by a name or a geographic territory, a network of streets and cul-de-sacs, or a zip code. For instance, my wife Tina and I live in the cove. It's technically a retirement subdivision, which we qualify by age. But uh, it's, a, it's a subdivision of 50 lots, of which 20 have been built. We don't know if the next 30 are going to happen or not. You might live in an apartment complex or a mobile home park or a retirement community or a condominium development. It really doesn't matter if you rent or you own or you still live with your folks. We have a geographic place that we call home. Now, it's true that some of you may live in the woods or on large acreage, but even in that case, you still have people that you would identify as your neighbors. Where we live determines our first neighborhood. Now, in our church family, uh, we have people who live in, see if I get this right, Peoria, Peoria Heights, Morton, Mackinac, Washington, East Peoria, West Peoria, Germantown Hills, Pekin, Bartonville, Crevecourt, Chillicothe, Brimfield, Edwards, Galva, Hopewell, Norwood, Edelstein, Dunlap, Gifford, and Lompoc, California. Did I miss any? Awesome. That is a lot of neighborhoods, and that means a lot of literal neighbors. Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan... Jesus was stretching his audience uh, to rethink their concept of neighbor, to include people they had not previously considered. Because you see, in the mind of the Jew, the despised Samaritan would never have been considered their neighbor, even though they were literally their neighbors. So Jesus is using the parable to stretch their thinking. Perhaps God might be nudging a number of us to begin neighboring with our literal neighbors. People who matter to God, people in whom God is working, even though we may not have previously considered them to be our neighbors that we're commanded to love. Now, here's the rub in 21st century America. Most of us don't actually know our literal neighbors, do we? So I thought we might try a little exercise this morning that's actually suggested by Jay Pathick and Dave Runyon in their book titled uh, The Art of Neighboring, and I've included it in your program. You could pull out the, uh, the Who is My Neighbor on the cardstock. It's a diagram, and you can imagine that your... Uh, house or apartment is the middle box, and that the other eight squares represent the eight households around you. Now, I understand totally that your neighborhood probably doesn't look like a tic-tac-toe board. You know, okay, just for the sake of illustration. But try to picture your eight nearest neighbors. And then on line A, you write down their name, their first name or their first and last, if you know it. On line B... Thank you, Adam, for your creative genius. (laughs) For the benefit of those listening on the podcast, there is an absolutely hilarious graphic that's accompanying this. And if you send me your email, I will send you a copy of it. Actually, Tina's not the one that has the tattoos. I have them. No, I'm just... (laughs) On line B, back to the... Okay, focus now. Back to the (laughs) illustration at hand. Line B, you're going to write some relevant information, not information that you can gain from outward observation, as in, oh, she drives a red van, or man, he's tall. Something, uh, uh, uh information that you've gained from actually speaking with your neighbors. Oh, he plays golf, or she grew up in California, or he works at Caterpillar, or they have two children, ages 15 and 18. And then on line C, you're going to write some in-depth information that you know about your literal neighbor because you've actually connected with them. That is to say, their career plans or their marriage or, or family history, their fears, their thoughts about the community in which they live, the hobbies, things that are important to them. And you could start doing that right now, and you can keep listening to me too. but I'm going to forewarn you, the spoiler alert is that this is probably going to hurt a little bit, doesn't it? Now, Pathak and Runyon indicate in their really excellent book that in the hundreds of times that they've done this with groups and churches, that pretty commonly the statistics go like this. 10% of the audience gets letter A completed. Only 3% can fill out B. And less than 1% fill out C. It underscores that we really don't know our neighbors. Now let's lean into that just a little bit, can we? And feel the burn. (laughs) Uh Huh? So let's start becoming... Literal neighbors by learning their names and what they do. Now, I'm not implying that we're all going to become best friends with our literal eight neighbors. They may not necessarily be the ones that God is nudging us towards, especially that annoying, particularly obnoxious, loud, messy neighbor. God forbid, right? <laughs> you may discover God's sense of humor in that. And I, and I, But I think there's no way to begin really being their neighbor if you don't know their name. Now, here's the rub. Many of you have lived next door to people for some time. You don't know their names, and now it's really awkward. So listen closely. Chances are they don't know your name either. They feel just as awkward or, or not, as it were. And so why don't you be the one that breaks the ice? And establish a connection. You can take over a plate of cookies, invite them to your house for ice cream this summer or root beer floats, and you take the initiative to reconnect. My primary point is this. In beginning to know to whom God is directing us to become good neighbors, it's helpful to think in terms of three neighborhoods in which each of us lives, and the first of those neighborhoods is our geographic literal neighborhood. The second neighborhood is where you work. This is our vocational neighborhood. Now, many of us are gainfully employed. That is, we're an employee or a business owner. You know, we work at this vocation part-time or full-time. At a 40-hour work week, it represents approximately 45% of our waking hours. That's a long time. It's a big chunk of our life at work, isn't it? And some of you work many more hours than a a standard 40-hour work week. Now, others of you are stay-at-home moms or dads, you might be parents, grandparents raising grandkids for this labor of love, you're not remunerated. Some of us are students. Some of us are retired, others of us are unemployed, are in transition. But the people with whom we work, our coworkers, direct reports, people who report to us, the owners, the managers, our classmates, or the people with whom we connect regularly because of our work. They might be patients or clients or customers or suppliers or delivery personnel. They comprise our second neighborhood. And we'll spend a lot of time with these people over our career. And this particular mix of people is unique to you. Perhaps some of the people in your second neighborhood are the neighbors that God is going to nudge you to begin to connect with. Maybe the ones you can't stand. As the story of the Good Samaritan, loving the unlovable Jewish man actually teaches. Our third neighborhood is where we do life. This is what we might call our relational neighborhood. The people with whom we connect with somewhat regularly because of our intersecting life spheres. Perhaps an extended family. Aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins, cousins once removed. Your daycare provider, the receptionist at the doctor, dentist, chiropractic, or therapist's office. Parents of the teammates of your kids' soccer or baseball or dance team. Maybe your hairstylist, people that you see at the health club where you work out regularly, clerks at the Kroger or Hy-Vee where you, where you, uh, buy your groceries every week, the wait staff at the restaurants that you frequent or the place where you drink coffee, the teller at the bank. You see, I always go inside. I never go through the drive-thru. Why? So I can actually connect with Megan and leave a vineyard pen. You know, that's my pen evangelism. There it's, every week I stick a yellow pen in the Busey pen box and they're all filled with white Busey pens and then several orange vineyard ones. The insurance rep or your financial planner, the mechanic at the Jiffy Lube or the, the Pennzoil uh, oil change place where you go to have your car serviced. Members of the teams or the clubs or the service organizations that you're a part of. It includes the people that Tina and I see on our regular walking route through Weaver Ridge subdivision, people that we've now got to know. Perhaps it's some of these people in your relational neighborhood that God is nudging you towards to learn how to love and become good neighbors. So, friends, we live not in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood nor the neighborhood of make-believe. We believe, we actually live in three neighborhoods that are unique to you. Where we live, where we work, where we do life. Now, as we begin to take steps... Uh, towards becoming good neighbors in these neighborhoods, I want to look at some guiding principles that Jesus offers in John's Gospel, the fifth chapter. We're going to read in John 5, a few verses beginning in verse 17. Jesus said, my father is always working and so am I so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. We see here a couple of guiding principles that that might uh, apply you may find helpful as we become good neighbors. The first in verse 17 is that God the Father is always working. We discovered that last week, didn't we? But the point here is in your three neighborhoods, God the Father is always working. Secondly in verse 19, Jesus said, "We can do nothing by ourselves." I love this powerful admission of truth. Friends, we don't have the capacity for loving relationships, the kind that Jesus calls for, without God's help. We can't muster up strength and compassion in our heart for unlovely people. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to, to cause us to be filled with compassion. Even Jesus himself said, the Son of God couldn't do anything without the help of the Father. I find that tremendously encouraging as I step into being a neighbor. Thirdly, verse 19, Jesus said he could only do uh, what he sees the Father doing. Now, in the vineyard, part of our genetic code is is this. We do what we see the Father doing. That is, rather than just getting chalked up full of busyness with religious behavior and then asking God to bless our actions, rather we try with the help of the Holy Spirit, to discern what it is that God's already doing, and then we join that. Now, there's certainly a place for outright, deliberate obedience. We don't need to decide not to lie, because it's not what the Father's doing. You know, so hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. There's there's a place for outright obedience to the Word of God. But there is another place of our elective cooperation with what we see God doing in the neighborhoods around us. And this is an imprecise art form. It's not engineering science. It's not mathematics or chemistry. It is an imprecise art form, trying to listen to what God is doing and then obey him. And we'll spend the rest of our lives as, as Christ followers Discovering what the Holy Spirit, the Father, is doing and then trying to cooperate. Uh, we'll, we'll, a lot of times we'll step out. We'll, we'll think God is directing us and we'll try something and we'll fail or maybe it, it doesn't have the kind of results that we would hope. But we say in the vineyard, you have to be willing to tolerate a few burnt cookies to get the real wins. And so sometimes when you think God is leading you or directing you and it just doesn't work out and everything falls apart, uh, just counted a burnt cookie on your way to getting the real ones. Ultimately, we will cooperate and have success, or you could call that anointing or enablement by the Holy Spirit, when we cooperate with what God initiates. And then verse 20, another really encouraging um, point that Jesus is making here, is that God loves to show us what he's doing. This isn't a cat and mouse game. It's not finding the needle in the haystack. God the Father wants to show us what He's doing. Now, admittedly, I just wish at times it were clearer. How many of you have ever prayed the prayer, Lord, I just don't have a clue what you're doing here. <laughs> Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. But, but we listen to God. Uh, we, we pray to God. We, we read the scripture. We try things. We're, we're in this active engagement posture of trying to be a follower of Jesus. We see and hear, follow and obey. Now, the point of all this is to encourage all of us to begin asking the Holy Spirit where and in whom he is working so that we can join him in that work in our three neighborhoods. It is humanly impossible to know where God might be leading us to become neighbors. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Now, in the case of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it was obvious, the situation was clear, and he responded to the need of his literal neighbor. But I don't know that it necessarily came just easy for him either. It was an obvious need, but he needed the nudge of God to cooperate. But in many cases for us, it's just not that clear where we're to begin, is it? It's immobilizing. It can be paralyzing. Well, in one sense, God does call us to scatter the seed of the kingdom everywhere. That's the truth of the parable of the uh, of the farmer scattering seed. Scatter seed everywhere, and God's responsible for for what grows and what doesn't grow. But in terms of becoming good neighbors and actually investing time and energy and resources into building relationships, we need God's direction in our three neighborhoods. I've even shared before here the concept of my five friends, and in, in our church family what this represents. My five friends represents five people in your three neighborhoods. They might look just like that, actually. <laughs> five people in your three neighborhoods who need God's touch and for whom it's likely that no one else is actually praying. And then you pray for those five people regularly. And of those five people, perhaps the Holy Spirit might begin for you by highlighting one or two of those friends with whom you're to begin building relationship. Let me just tell you how it's working in my life, our life. So in our literal neighborhood, the Cove, last year, we thought of, well, how could we begin to connect? We did what we thought of as, as the comparable equivalent of a block party in a retirement neighborhood, which was a progressive Christmas dinner. Now, the vision for a Christmas dinner is really quite simple. You have three courses salad, soup, and dessert, and neighbors team together to open up three of their homes. So you're doing each of the three courses in three different homes, and you invite the whole neighborhood. And then you connect at each of those three places for, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And it's a great way to mingle, people to experience each other's homes, and connect with one another. When my wife and I did this in Champaign, where we used to live, it was very successful in our neighborhood. So on our first Christmas here, we issued invitations to, to all of our neighbors, but the invitations got out late. Many people were busy. Only eight people responded, but it was a, actually a very delightful evening. We got to meet uh, several of our neighbors that we'd never met before and got into three homes. Well, just this, this past Christmas, uh, Tina and I were thinking, man, that was really great experience. Wouldn't it be cool if the whole neighborhood could come? So we got out ahead of it. I sent a save-the-date uh, email to all of my neighbors, because I actually have their emails, and I actually do know their names. Uh, I'm not bragging. I'm just, like, trying to model what I'm trying to teach you. We We do know everybody by name in our neighborhood. I have their email address. And then in October, I actually designed and mailed by snail mail a personal invitation to this progressive dinner to participate. Only got one RSVP out of our 20 neighbors. So, you know, we threw some spaghetti against the wall. It didn't stick. We tried. We failed. It was a burnt cookie. Uh, So we thought. But Tina and I responded to the one couple that indicated interest. And we know them, but we don't have a great deal of of relationship. But while we're slow, we're not stupid. And so we thought, maybe this is who the Holy Spirit is highlighting for us to engage. And so we canceled the the uh, progressive dinner, and instead we offered to take that couple out to a restaurant for dinner, and they accepted to our surprise. And we thought, ah, now we're on to something. This is where God wants us to begin connecting with our literal neighbors. And so over the last uh, months, we've begun to more intentionally cultivate this relationship, take the f- first steps toward becoming good neighbor. And I'm pleased to announce to you today that they're actually coming to our house for dinner, and we're going to have strawberry shortcake tonight. Timing worked out great. So I don't know where it's going to go, but I want to I be obedient to this stuff because I, I want to, like, actually do what I'm teaching you to do and what I'm challenging you to do. I'll give you a report later. Now, I can assure you, in the last few minutes, let me just say this. I I can assure you that as we set our heart and mind to love others in our three neighborhoods, you are going to run into some very predictable hurdles. Let me tell you a real quick story about a hurdle. Mine is about just that bad. It It occurred on track and field day. Any of you remember track and field day from the eighth grade? Oh, they were painful experiences. I still need healing. I'll tell you why by some now forgettable process i ended up in the 100 yard hurdles and the long jump i'd never jumped a hurdle in my life but and imagine in my heat the horror that i now discovered that ed foster the speed demon of the 8th grade class was in in the in the row what do they call it the lane thank you next to me we crouched and the starter said you know on your mark get set go and And Ed shot out of the starting blocks like a missile launched from an aircraft carrier or something, you know. And and I'm kind of (sighs) like, okay. I ran down as fast as my chubby little legs would carry me back in the eighth grade. And as the first hurdle neared, I remember leaping with all of my might. And then it's like time slowed down. And my left leg smashed into the top of that hurdle uh that felt at the time like it was eight feet above the ground, but it was probably eighteen inches uh and i i I fell to the cinder track, thinking if I feign an injury, my pride could stay intact, so I did that I literally. <laughs> I rolled over on my side. I pretended to be injured, and my track career ended as soon as it started. (laughs) My point is this. You are going to hit a hurdle as you step out to love the people in your neighborhoods. But don't let it injure your pride or keep you from the race. These hurdles are universal. The two you're going to hit right up the bat first is time. The number one obstacle to becoming a good neighbor is time. Most of us aren't walking around with a lot of extra time on our hands wondering what to do with it. We're already overwhelmed by the amount of stuff in our life. Our schedules are are packed. We, We have enough relationships, and we're thinking, how am I ever going to find the time and energy for more relationships? Well, I suggested at the very beginning of this sermon series that we want to encourage all of us to do a few of the right things well. I think this is one of the right things. And so in order to do it well, I think we, we have to take a step backwards and and ask ourselves, are we living at a pace that allows us to be available to the people in our three neighborhoods that the Holy Spirit's highlighting? Is my pace of life sufficient to accommodate it? Um, in the process, these uh, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal three harmful lies about time that we often have we believe. First is is that you think, well, I'll have more time when things get back to normal. This is the new normal. There is no like things getting back to to normal after blank. No, this is the new normal, friends. They're never going to settle down. Secondly, we think, well, just a little more will be enough. You know, uh, one more purchase, one more achievement, one more accumulation, one more home repair project, and then we'll finally have some time to settle down and begin to get to, you know, that'll never end. Thirdly, we think, well, everybody lives like this. Actually, no, they don't. Now, I'm not suggesting that reprioritizing our life to look more like Jesus is easy. In fact, this may be some of the most difficult work we do as a disciple. In becoming good neighbors, finding the time. Obedience to Jesus is costly. It costs the Good Samaritan time and energy and resources. But Jesus is a good model for us regarding time. He got a lot done, but he never seemed to be in a hurry, did he? I don't ever hear Jesus complaining that he had too much to do. And he was always interruptible. He stopped his planned agenda to turn aside to care for and minister directly to somebody who was interrupting him, and it didn't bother him. It bothered other people, but not him. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the temple worker were either too busy or too inflexible to minister to the need of the Jewish injured man. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, when we smack against the hurdle of time, Ask God, am I living at a pace that allows me to be available to the people in my three neighborhoods? And lastly, the second hurdle you're going to face is fear. I understand, you know, that when we watch TV or we hit a link to the multiple scary or cringeworthy stories, we might be tempted to think it's a sick and scary world out there. And when we feed on that stuff, We can begin to be suspicious of everyone, can't we? And pretty soon we think everybody out there is just like sick and demented. Actually, they're the exception. I'm not suggesting that we throw caution and discernment to the wind, but just realize that a barrier to reaching out to our neighbors in the three neighborhoods in which we live is fear. And that following Jesus and obeying the great command is not necessarily designed to be safe. Just possible as we trust him. Now, no doubt many of us are also thinking of the next barrier, which is, I don't know what to do or say. And that's where we're going to pick up next week as we offer some practical help in cultivating these uh, relationships Uh, and becoming good neighbors as we head into summer. Lord, thanks for your encouragement, your patience with us, your grace for us. We we pray, God, that you just have mercy on us. We want to be people who grow to look like Jesus, but, Lord, we're just like often so far away. And so help us, God. We want to be people who love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we want to be people who who love others. But, man, it's challenging. And so I pray for grace for our whole church family, God. May we be the kind of men and women who grow to look more like you. You were attractive everywhere you went. And God, I want to be attractive. I want our church family to be attractive in the same way. Help us, Holy Spirit. And now as we offer to you, Lord, our, our gifts in worship and our hearts and hands in song, receive these for what they are, tokens that say we love you. Amen.